So we are in a series where we are trying to examine, think about uh, the wisdom of God, uh, how we are able to take that wisdom of God, put it into our hearts um, in a desire that we carry that with us. Remember, we've looked at Scripture and talked about how Scripture, the Word of God is not just for us as a resource to kind of like go dive into once the crisis happens. Now, we do that. But it's also to put into our hearts to write a tablet, the scripture says, a tablet onto our hearts so that it's a part of who we are. Uh, Last week, we looked at the proverb where it said for us to trust in the Lord uh, with all of our heart and for us to think about how how do we trust God in all circumstances and trust God in all situations, to realize that even in the midst of crisis, that God gives us everything uh, that we need. And we talked a little bit, and we're going to go a little bit further into that. We talked a little bit last week about how we, um, we kind of create a divide sometimes in our life. Uh, we create a secular world. We create a sacred world. And that somehow, because we've created this divide, it gives us permission in some ways to compartmentalize God. And so what I want us to do today is to think about like a practical way of how do we begin to break down that, um, that divide that we sometimes uh, put up. And today what I want us to think about is how do we do that um, in our work? Now, I realize that in this congregation, many of us are retired Uh, And so you stop and go, okay, I'm not getting up and going to work, so why are you doing a message about work? However, if I've heard once, I've heard many, many times from many of you, but I've heard it from my mother and dad, that they work more now uh, when they have been retired than they did when they worked. And so uh, just because we're not getting up and clocking in to a job uh, doesn't mean that we're not working, right? So... Whatever we do, whatever your version of work is, for some of us, it's getting up and going into a school. For some of us, it's getting up and taking care of our grandchildren. For some of us, it is going to a job and we're going to physically into a location and we're clocking in at nine o'clock and we're leaving at five or whatever your time hours are. Whatever you define as work, then I want us to think about that capacity to stop and go, how do we, how do we trust God with that time that we are given. Because the reality is, you are able to worship God at work, right? We can't compartmentalize and separate God from work and God here in church. Now, just so you'll know, kind of my history, uh, I started out after graduating college, I worked in a biochemistry lab. I was a biochemist and worked on uh, enzymes um, that were part of cancer research. Did that for a number of years. And then I went into pharmaceutical sales and I worked as a pharmaceutical salesperson uh, for Pfizer Pharmaceuticals. Uh, and then after that, uh, joined the family business, went into family business and ran uh, the family business for um, 14, 15 years before going into ministry. So that's kind of been my work experience. And what I've come to realize is in each of those capacities, I had the ability to give God the glory and to give God the honor and to to worship God in the midst of those. Uh, I did that well sometimes. And looking back, I think I did not do that well sometimes 
either. And so we have that, that option as we choose to think about what it is that we do as work. How are we doing that in a way that gives God glory? And so part of that is this whole idea that somehow we create a secular and sacred idea of work. In the fourth century, Augustine was writing about contemplative life and is written to said this, defined it in kind of this way. It says, the contemplative life was given to sacred things and deemed a higher calling, while the active life was given to secular things and regarded as a lower calling. And so this kind of teaching took root in the church and distorted, in some ways, our view of work. One author wrote this, said, Many followers of Jesus live their entire lives in a workplace under the soul-suffocating distortion that their work is not as important and God-honoring as the work of a pastor or the work of a missionary. This misconception that there are higher callings and lesser callings. I can personally tell you that's not true. I can remember being you in the pews and thinking of the pastor and his place or her place. And then I get called into that and I'm like, okay, that must be changing uh, my view uh, or something. But we, we have this misconception idea that exists in here. I will tell you that I think back into all of those ministry experiences or work experiences that I had. When I was in business, we were in sporting goods, and I was also the president uh, and served in several different areas uh, on the board of a local youth organization. And so I was t-ball director and pinto age director. I was coach and all of this kind of stuff. And, and I don't know if you've ever been in the ball field, but there were a lot of people at the ball field who needed Jesus. And so there were a lot of us that we were standing around, and we were not saying words that were necessarily very God-honoring. Uh, there were some jokes about women, to be honest with you. There were some jokes that were probably fairly offensive. Uh, and we, we just were not living in a way in that community that was extremely healthy. And all of a sudden, I began to get this call from God to speak into that and to, to talk about how we needed to talk better and maybe be less offensive and to... to to teach the young kids that were playing on the teams maybe a different way of thinking and how to react both positively and negatively. And what was interesting was so many of the coaches that I coached with came to experience faith, not necessarily as a direct result, but I think that it had an indirect result of what I spoke about as we stood around on the ball field. And I stop and think about how God used that time to minister to them at a time where they were able to to hear it what you do on a daily basis everywhere you go whatever that work definition is for you you're able to use it to give God glory and to give God honor you're able to use it in a way that's a part of worship and so I find it very interesting that we've just created we've adopted this mindset in the church where what we do Nine to five doesn't necessarily make a difference on how we live our life as followers of Jesus. We've just created. And I start thinking about Jesus. I mean, Jesus came to show us how to live, right? Now, the question for us is, the only part of Jesus that shows us how we're supposed to live, was it just the three years of his ministry? You ever thought about that? He lived 
we, we, we say lived like 33 years. He was only in full-time public ministry for three. So that means for 30 years, he wasn't in full-time ministry. He was a carpenter. He built furniture, just worked in people's homes. Listen to what Mark, how Mark describes this in Mark chapter 6. Verses 1 through 3, it says this, Jesus left that place and came to his hometown. His disciples followed him. On the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. Many who heard him were surprised. Where did this man get all this? What's the wisdom he's been given? What about the powerful acts accomplished through him? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't he Mary's son and brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? They were repulsed by him and fell into sin. I mean, I think about this. If Jesus were here today, if Jesus, if, if, if his experience on life was, pre- he, he, he might be a teacher. He might be an auto mechanic. He might be the school crossing guard. I mean, we stop and recognize that, that if Jesus were here, he might would be, your job, my job. He might would be just one of the regular people who gets up and goes to work from nine to five. He might live in your neighborhood, your apartment complex. He might drive your car. His ministry, his public ministry, was only three years. So the question we have to stop and say is, were the other 30 years a waste of time? I mean, think about it. Did he just waste his time for 30 years waiting for the three years of public ministry? Was just building tables, working in people's homes as a carpenter, was all of that just a waste to get him to the three years of ministry? And I would say that the very God who crafted the universe creates us, spent a lot of time crafting with his hands, learning how to give God the glory. I don't think Jesus saw his carpentry work as meaningless or as wasteful. I believe that Jesus did all of that in a good way, in a way that provided God the glory and the honor And my point for us is it's time for us to begin to think about what we do every day. Not just what we do from 8.30 to 9.30 on Sunday morning, but what we do as work. Your work is not an obstacle to your spiritual growth, but it is a venue for you to grow closer to him, to give God the glory, and to impact the kingdom of God. It's not an obstacle to your growth. It's actually a venue for your growth. And so then we have to stop and go, if we can acknowledge that, then we have to begin to look and go, how do we distort that? One way, I believe, is how we balance our work. And we can look at two different extremes. One is for the workaholic in the room. So confession is good for your soul. How many of us are workaholics? All right. 
a few of us are brave enough to raise our hands. Let me lead to you a definition of workaholic that really kind of like cuts me deep. Uh, workaholic is rampant in our day and often points to a deeper issue of idolatry in our lives. In this common form of idolatry, our entire lives center around what we do and our identity becomes centered in it. I love what I do, I always have, but do I make it an idol? That's why it cuts me deep. Do I make it an idol? Look at what Luke chapter 12 says. Someone from the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus said to him, man, who appointed me as judge or referee between you and your brother? Then Jesus said to them, watch out. Guard yourself against all kinds of greed. After all, one's life isn't determined by one's possessions, even when someone is very wealthy. Then he told them a parable. Remember, parables he uses to teach us. So he told them a parable. A certain rich man's land produced a bountiful crop. He said to himself, what will I do? I have no place to store my harvest. Then he thought, here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. That's where I'll store all my grain and goods. I'll say to myself, you have stored up plenty of goods, enough for several years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, fool, tonight you will die. Now, who will get all the things you have prepared for yourself? This is the way it will be for those who hoard things for themselves and aren't rich toward God. Let me ask you a few questions. And remember, everybody has a different definition of what work is. Some of us work during the day. Some of us serve in volunteer positions in various capacities. Some of us are watching our grandchildren. Whatever you define work is, I want you to answer these questions in your head. You don't have to answer them out loud. Answer these questions and see whether you would answer yes or no to kind of determine about whether you have created an idol. Do you get more excited about your work than about anything else? Do you take work to bed with you on vacations, on weekends? Is the work the activity that you like to do best and talk about most? Do you work more than, now they said 40 hours a week. I'm changing it because I'm a workaholic. Uh, so do you, do you work more than 50 hours a week? Have your family or friends giving up expecting you on time this one hurts me because I can't tell you how many times my family when I've called and said well I'll be home at six they're like whatever because you're never home when you say you're going to be home have they given up expecting you do you take on extra work because you're concerned that it won't get done otherwise do you believe that it's okay to work long hours if you love what you're doing do you get impatient with people who have other priorities besides work? Do you do things energetically and competitively, including play? Do you get irritated when people ask you to stop doing your work in order to do something else? Do you think about work while driving, falling asleep, or while other people are talking to you? And do you believe that more money will solve other problems in your life? Now, if you answered 
Experts say if you answered yes to three of those questions, that you need to examine whether you have created an idol of your work. Now, I will tell you, I answered yes to nine of them. So relax if you answered yes to three, but we have some work to do, right? To be able to stop and look and go, have we created idols? The truth is we are supposed to look at our jobs seriously, but we should at least evaluate our motivation, evaluate our work. Who are you working for? What eternal value is your work bringing? Ask yourself, are you working for God? Are you just working for a paycheck? Are you working for self-gratification? Are you working for someone to acknowledge you? How would you answer that question? What you define as work, who are you working for? What's your motivation? In the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon kind of examines the people of Israel the workforce and all of the conditions that are going on at that time. And he, he writes of how the motivation is going in that time. I want you to listen to this passage in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. It says, I hated life because the things that happened under the sun were troublesome to me. Definitely. Everything is pointless. Just wind chasing. I hated the things I worked so hard for here under the sun because I will have to leave them to someone who comes after me. And who knows whether the one, that one will be wise or foolish. Either way, that person will have control over the results of all my hard work and wisdom here under the sun. That too is pointless. I then gave myself up to despair as I thought about all my laborious hard work under the sun. Because sometimes those who have worked hard with wisdom, knowledge, and skill must leave the results of their hard work as a possession to those who haven't worked hard for it. This too is pointless. It's a terrible wrong. I mean, what do people get for all their hard work and struggles under the sun? All their days are pain and their work is aggravation. Even at night, their hearts don't find rest. This too is pointless. I mean, do you think if Solomon were to walk around today, if Solomon were to walk around today and to see the workforce, to see us where we are, whether we're volunteering or whether we're working, whatever, whatever you define, if Solomon were to walk around with us, would he find a different view? Would he find a different view of us at work? We have to acknowledge that we sometimes find work as oppression, we sometimes find ourselves in a bad spirit. Let me ask you a question, see, because why do we find ourselves that way? And I think that part of that is because, at least from my own perspective, is that we're often doing our work for our own personal benefit and not for the glory of God. We're doing work for our own personal benefit and not the glory of God. The focus is all about being pleased and being happy at work and not necessarily worshiping worshiping Jesus while we work. It's all selfishly motivated. We only focus on our wants. And soon what we discover is that our needs are not being met. And so we become unhappy. We become critical. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But I said that our work, we can be extreme. So we can be a workaholic 
But the other response, the other extreme is a mindset of laziness. The mindset is that I don't have to work because I can do leisure over work. Ecclesiastes, again, part of the wisdom literature, says this in chapter 10. Through laziness, the roof sags. Through idle hands, the house leaks. So just think of it from like a philosophical view to stop and go, is your house leaking? I will share with you another passage that comes in 2 Thessalonians. I'm not going to put it on the screen because I just want you to listen to this. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, it says, May the Lord lead your hearts to express God's love and Christ's endurance. Brothers and sisters, we command you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to stay away from every brother or sister who lives an undisciplined life that is not in line with the traditions that you received from us. You yourselves know how, to, how you need to imitate us because we were not undisciplined when we were with you. We didn't eat anyone's food without paying for it. Instead, we worked night and day with effort and hard work so that we would not impose on you. We did this to give you an example to imitate, not because we didn't have a right to insist on financial support. Even when we were with you, we were, you were giving us this command. If anyone does not want to work, they shouldn't eat. We hear that some of you are living an undisciplined life. They aren't working, but they are meddling in other people's business. By the Lord Jesus Christ, we command and encourage such people to work quietly and put their own food on the table. Brothers and sisters, don't get discouraged in doing what is right. Take note of anyone who doesn't obey what we have said in this letter. Don't associate with them so that they will be ashamed of themselves. Don't treat them like enemies, but warn them like you would do for a brother or sister. The mindset that we create sometimes with laziness is why we don't have to work. We come up with excuses of why not having to work. We come up with excuses of trying to blame other people, trying to rely on the hard work of others. Proverbs also tells us in Proverbs 20, a sluggard does not plow in season. So at harvest time, he finds, in harvest time, he looks, but he does not find anything. There's not a benefit to us as Christians to be idle. Now, that's not saying that we should not observe Sabbath. It doesn't say that we should not have our time with God. But we are also called to work. We have a responsibility to do that. And so listen to the consequences of those who are idle. George Whitfield, I don't know if much if you know much about the United Methodist Church or the Methodist Church, really. George Whitfield was one of the founding fathers here in America, and he he wrote this about idleness. It says, There is not a thing on the face of the earth that I abhor so much as idleness or idle people. Proverbs chapter 14 says, There's profit in hard work, but mere talk leads to poverty. What this passage is talking about, Christ's attribute of perseverance, his endurance, should reveal something to us about how we're supposed to go about our daily business. I mean, Christ, he, he wasn't somebody who just kept rocks in his pockets so he could throw at people, right? I mean, rock, despite all of the hardship that came at him, Christ loved people, right? It says that he, he loved even those who were attacking him and that his love persevered and that it was this perfect love that cast out fear. Fear could have stopped him in his tracks, but he pushed forward. Jesus was ambitious. He didn't just sit around. Yes, he found time to be with the Father, but then when he came off the mountain often, he would say, he would go around, he would teach, and as he taught, he would heal people. He would point them 
to the kingdom of God. Everything Jesus did was centered and focused on the kingdom of God, trying to show people what kingdom of God, that the kingdom of God has come here on earth. We pray it every time that we pray the Lord's Prayer. Right? More kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. That's not just a prayer that God, you bring the kingdom of God. It is let us take the kingdom of God to the people. Let us be responsible with what we do. Jesus was always focused on the Father's business and the Great Commission. Think about this. With what you do at work, do you make it about eternal value? Your energy, do you use it for the kingdom of God? Are you letting time just pass you by as you sit idle? And I understand that some of us are not physically able to get up and do as much as we used to be able to do. But with what God has given you, are you idle? This week, as I sat in the hospital, I got phone messages and texts from several of you who are not quite as physically mobile as others, using your time for the kingdom of God. Are you working? Are you using it for eternal value? Do you have goodwill towards your neighbor? Remember, the scripture says that if we don't care for how can the love of God be in us? It should challenge us and push us to how do we use our time? Maybe what we have to do is stop and look and go, what hurts are we holding on to that prevents us from moving forward and using our work as good? So we have to stop and recognize. Maybe we have to do some internal business on ourselves. Jesus endured to the end with the perfect love of Christ. Now, work's not evil. It's not bad. We just have to push ourselves to stop and think about how do we use it in a way that gives God glory and honor. Part of that is thinking about our attitude. Every day you get up and you do something. Do you do it with an attitude that would give God glory and honor? Often what the Bible will talk about is think about it like a fragrance. A fragrance you put on at first in the morning, you're the only one who can smell it. But then throughout the day, it begins to affect other people. That's kind of how we need to think about our attitude. Paul says this in Galatians 5. He says, the, spirit of the, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against things like this. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the self with its passions and its desires. If we live by the Spirit, let's follow the Spirit. Let's not become arrogant. Let's not make each other angry. Let's not be jealous of each other. Our communion liturgy, do y'all even, part of what the communion liturgy says is that when we take the bread and we take the, the juice, it says make it be the body and blood of Christ so that we can be the body of Christ in the world redeemed by his blood. That is calling on us as the people of God to take the attitude of Christ as we go forth in whatever work we're doing so that they are able to experience the life transforming love and grace of Jesus Christ. We have that right. We have that, that, the choice to be able to choose our attitude. And so many, whatever work we go into, we go into it with a complaining attitude. Let me tell you, complaining is a choice. Complaining will rob you of joy. It will rob you of your thankful, generous attitude. Listen again to an Old Testament passage in Numbers chapter 11. 
It says, when the people complained intensely in the Lord's hearing, the Lord heard and became angry. Then the Lord's fire burned them and consumed the edges of the camp. When the people cried out to Moses, Moses prayed to the Lord and the fire subsided. The name of that place was called Taborah because the Lord's fire burned against them. You go and read that story in later in Numbers. It talks about them murmuring as they wondered, they, they, they murmured, they complained continually about God. And it drove God crazy that they would complain after all that he had done for them, that they would still complain. So many of us have to stop and ask, are we in the wilderness And maybe we need to check our attitudes. Do we spend a majority of our time complaining? The truth is the Israelites, they chose to complain. They chose to make that their attitude. Until we can get to the idea that, you know what, we don't have to choose that. We can choose to be thankful. You have that choice every day to wake up and to be thankful to God. That's true in the New Testament. You can constantly see where the people began to see God work. They were thankful. Then they began complaining again. Let me tell you something. Complaining is sin. It it, it creates a separation between us and God. Because complaining hurts us. But also complaining hurts God. We see that. In the scriptures, it's as if we're saying to God, God, you're not doing your job. You're failing at what you do. And so complaining creates the separation, which is the definition of sin, right? When we're separated from God, when we miss the mark. So part of what we have to do when we think about our work is we have to look at our attitude and stop and go, are we complaining or are we thankful? Challenge yourself. I cannot tell you, and I just use different examples. Of, I can't tell you how many times I've seen somebody come into a servant position within the life of the church, whether you're talking fall festival, whether you're talking pumpkin patch, you can use anything that you want to do. And they walk in, and the attitude is one of complaint. Well, man, it sure is hot out here. Uh, or it sure is cold. Wished it wasn't raining. Uh, we think about how is our attitude when we serve God? When you think about work, when you walk in and all you do is create a complaining attitude about your coworkers, about your company. I mean, I thought about this last last week. I stood up here and complained to you about the United Methodist Church in one of the meetings that I had to go to. Do we spend an attitude of just complaining? Or do we choose to be thankful? Let me tell you something. God is listening to what you say. God is listening to what you say. God is listening to what you say when you're in this place. God is listening to what you say when you are serving. God is listening to what you say when you are working. Everything you are doing, God is listening to what you say. God wants us to be good, positive witnesses for the kingdom of God. Think about what you do when you go to work. I think about just simply my family. This next week, my dad, his job, his work, is to do whatever his cardiac rehab person tells him that he is to do. Get out of bed, go to his chair, and when they come in, whatever they tell him to do, that's what he's supposed to do. And he is supposed to do that with a good attitude, being thankful to God. 
I trust you. I mean, I trust that I can be pretty confident that I can say that at least today he is thankful. Uh, I can't promise what tomorrow will be, but that's what his job is. My mother can't help him. She can be there and support him and encourage him, but her job is to get out of the way and let the people that are supposed to be taking care of him take care of him. And she's supposed to do that with a good attitude. She's supposed to do that positive thinking. My sister's got to go to work. She's got to do into her job, and she's got to do all that, trying to let go of everything that's going on with the family. My job is to write a sermon. My job is to, to work at the, to come to the fall festival. All, just thinking about our particular family, what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to check and see, are we doing it in order for the glory of God? And that's your challenge. See, when we create this secular divide, what it says is that you can leave here today and then you can just come back next Sunday morning at 8.30 and begin to re-engage God. And what God is saying is, no, everything you do, you are to do it for the glory of God. Everything. And so we need to look at our attitude. We need to look at our balance. If we're out of balance with what we work and how we give that to God, but we are to commit everything to God. So our proverb for today, I've been encouraging you to take a proverb card so you'll find in the buckets out in each one week three. Our proverbs, let's look at this. It's Proverbs 16.3. This is what I want you to take to heart this week. Commit your actions to the Lord. Some translations, if you go read it, it will say commit your work to the Lord. Commit your actions to the Lord and your plans will succeed. Y'all say this with me, Proverbs 16, 3. Commit your actions to the Lord and your plans will succeed. When you walk out this door, you will have actions. You'll have actions today. You'll have actions tomorrow. You're going to have actions on Tuesday. You're going to have actions on Wednesday. Do you commit them to the Lord? Think about your balance. Think about your attitude. Do you spend more time complaining? Are you thankful? What God tells us in his wisdom is we are to commit everything to the Lord. Amen. Amen. May that be true for each and every one of us. Let's pray. Most gracious God, we are so thankful for today. Thankful for everything that you have given us. For your grace for your mercy, for your forgiveness. We thank you, Lord, for your son, Jesus, and what he means to each and every one of us. We thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit that guides us every day. Lord, we thank, we're thankful that we get to even think about what we do as work, what you give us the opportunity to do for your kingdom. And I pray, Lord, that for each of us, some of us in this room, we're really truthful. We, we have created idols out of our work. For some of us, we have become too idle. For some of us, we, we have spent more time complaining than we have being thankful Lord, forgive us in all of these circumstances. Help us to commit to you everything. Help us to commit all of our actions to you. 
And in all circumstances, in all situations, we will give you praise. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.